I would go on a diet. I would be very successful on that diet. I would lose a lot of weight. But then, of course, at some point, it wasn't sustainable anymore, and I would crash and burn. And then all that weight came back because, of course, when you put your body through something and take away nutrients and over-exercise, which is what we tend to do when we're trying to lose weight, then it comes back with vengeance. Hello, and welcome to the Confidential Podcast, where we discuss and demystify life and everything that impacts it. I'm Simone Gisondi, author, health strategist, life transformation consultant, and overall life enthusiast. I dive deep into the fascinating world of life with each show. Each episode features in-depth conversations with experts, thought leaders, as well as personal stories and experiences that will bring the world around us to life. Whether you're a curious newcomer or a passionate enthusiast, come with me on a journey of discovery and enlightenment. Tune in every week and join me as I demystify all things that touch life. Welcome everybody to The Confidential. Thank you so much for joining me again today. I have an amazing, amazing and so incredibly educated guest for you guys. You're going to get so many answers to so many questions related to what we do every day, multiple times a day that affects whether we feel well, whether we're thriving, whether we're sick, whether we're healthy. And I have Dr. Monica Gostick. Dr. Monica Gostick, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Such a pleasure to have you. And guys, just so you know, please get a drink and sit down and get comfortable. I'm about to introduce her to you. And she's got so many achievements that you'll need to be getting comfortable because she's done so much. Not only is she a scientist, hence Dr. Monica Gostick, she's also a lecturer. She's a mother. She's an entrepreneur. She's an aspiring athlete and so much more. She has been through her own health journey where she developed an intense interest in nutrition, which is probably why she sought the idea of a PhD in it and its connection to health and disease. And I'm sure we're all wondering about that. So that's why she specializes in helping people with chronic conditions through her BAD method. And that means balanced, authentic, and deserving. I love that. We'll talk more about that in the show. And that's actually, that method is designed to help people with chronic conditions, break the cycle of chronic pain, nutrient starvation, reduce productivity and frustration, which most of us at some point or another in life deal with. And we want to address because we want to feel good and we want to be productive and we want to thrive. She is a regular speaker at conferences and events, of course, on the topic of nutrition and health. She's been featured on BBC Scotland Radio and BBC Scotland TV program Food Fest. We'd love to hear more about that. And in addition to her academic background, which is stellar in microbiology, genetics and cancer research, she also holds qualification in nutrition, sports nutrition, mental health and coaching. And she's also a member of British Lifestyle Medicine Association and Nutrition Society. And her coaching, I mean, of course, it comes as no surprise, has resulted in many life-changing results, which are reflected in the business awards that she has won to date, four independent ones. So there you have it. As I told you, she does not um, she does not come without any amazing achievements. So she is one of the foremost experts that could speak to the power of nutrition in feeling well, beating disease, thriving, being productive. So welcome, Dr. Monica. I would like to start off with a personal turning point 
So in your journey as a nutritionist scientist, can you share, because um, in your introduction, you had you indicated you had your own health journey. Can you share a personal turning point or a moment that actually brought you to this and how that idea of the impact of nutrition on health um, sort of pushed you in the direction of seeking a PhD in it? Absolutely. Um, it's just such a passionate topic for me to share. So I really hope that anyone who can hear the story and identify with this can see that there is a way out. So it all started off when I was a young girl. I was actually overweight my entire life. And like many, many people, I thought uh, obesity runs in my family. <laughs> it's genetic. Mm. Um, further down the line, I learned that it's not the obesity that runs in my family because of the genes. It's because of the health habits that my family had and then passed through generations and generations. And uh, I've struggled with my weight my entire childhood and adolescence, all the way up to my mid-20s. And um, of course, tried every diet under the sun. Um, when you come from like Eastern European type of culture, it's the, the girls are meant to be tall and skinny and gorgeous. And I was none, <laughs> none of that at that time. I was quite an ugly duckling. So my mother tried to help me by kind of like force dieting me and helping me through certain nutrition approaches, minimizing my portions, uh, a lot of different ways to try and help me. However, that resulted in me just feeling really, really low about my own self-esteem, me feeling like there's something wrong with me, mm. and uh, resulted in binge eating and very, very corrupt relationship with food. So throughout the day, I would eat as instructed, but then I would go and secretly binge eat from the pantry at night mm. because I was absolutely starving. And um, it wasn't for the lack of trying either. I would go on a diet I would be very successful on that diet I would lose a lot of weight but then of course at some point it wasn't sustainable anymore and it would crash and burn and then all that weight came back because of course when you put your body through something and take away nutrients and over exercise which is what we tend to do when we're trying to lose weight then it comes back with vengeance and I reached that point so that's the turning point that I reached where I was about 18 or so where I bent over to tie my shoelaces and I actually couldn't reach my leg, my foot or my shoe because I was so big. <laughs> I couldn't reach it. The belly was in the way. I, I was just struggling to get to my shoe to tie the shoelaces and I had to put my foot up onto a step to actually reach it and tie my shoelaces. And that's really when it hit me, wow, this is not okay. It's not, it's not something that I want to continue doing in my life. And then I looked a little bit around my family and my granny died at the age of 74, being diagnosed with seven chronic conditions at the same time, seven oh. of them. Um, which later on I realized is not unusual that people do have multiple chronic conditions diagnosed at the same time. And then my granddad suffered two strokes, heart attacks, and my mother developed type 2 diabetes, and so on, and so on, and so on. A woman's health problem, breast cancer problem, all of these things run in my family. Mm -hmm. And I just looked around and I looked at myself and I said, I'm next. And then I had the second turning point where I decided to go and study microbiology at the university. And 
I needed some some financial support to support myself during the studies. My family was not well off, so I wasn't able to count on my family to pay for my studies. I had to figure out things by myself. And I actually got offered a scholarship by the army. And it was such an honor. It was amazing. I went through every health check and all of the stuff. And I was one of the two finalists to wow. get that scholarship, which would mean that I would get the scholarship, uh, meaning I could finish my studies, get my Bachelor of Science in Microbiology, and then I would have five-year contract waiting for me at the Army, which was absolutely fantastic opportunity. And in the end, when I had the final interviews, the guy said to me, well, I would love to offer you the scholarship. It is waiting for you. However, what you need to know is that in order to get it, you would have to lose weight. And that's where the entire life's flashback came back. And it was like, I literally tried everything. I tried to diet so many times. I really tried being healthy. I just can't do it. And I pushed away the papers and I said to the guy, I'm sorry, please give it to the other finalist because I just can't do it. And that still haunts me to this day. (laughs) My life would look absolutely different if I thought that I was able to lose that weight if I thought that I was able to get healthy with support and all that and I was absolutely convinced that I didn't so fast forward a few years I've met a lady who I'm still in contact with who at that time was a health coach and she took me by the hand and showed me a completely different approach to health and nutrition and exercise she didn't tell me to eat less and to move more like everyone else she didn't tell me to stop eating bread to not enjoy pizza every now and then we worked on different stuff and we also worked a lot on the mindset and we worked on the root of the cause with what is happening with nutrition and I managed to lose over 55 pounds in weight within one year and that was for the first time in my life and then I kept it off all until now. And that was something that really triggered in my curiosity. Okay, wow. So I tried every diet, apple cider vinegar, keto, Dr. Atkins. I mean, honestly, you name it, I've done it. And it didn't work and it wasn't sustainable and actually caused more damage than good to my body. Mm-hmm. So then I changed my approach and managed to keep that weight off. But it's not just that. While I was dieting, I was feeling depressed. And I was low on energy and my performance at the university wasn't stellar at all at that time because I had brain fog. I couldn't focus. I really struggled getting through the day. And then I started eating right. And now this is one of my famous sentences. I always say, don't eat less, eat right. Every one of my clients quotes me all the time on that. And I started eating right and suddenly this happy Monica came back. I was full of energy, bubbly, bouncing off the wall. And now I'm known for my energy. Everyone's like, oh, I wish I could do all these things that you do. How do you do it? And I always say, well, I just do because I can. I've got the energy. I've got the mental capacity. I've got the surrounding that I've created for myself that enables me to be able to do all of these things. But the primary thing that I always put as the most important thing every single day is what I put into my body and how much I move my body. And that basically from those two turning points that I just mentioned, from not being able to tie my shoelaces to declining the scholarship with the army, 
Um, and then finally being able to lose that weight, that really triggered my curiosity into what is actually happening. As a microbiologist, I knew a lot about microbes. I knew a lot about um, genetics and molecular functioning of human body. So that really informed my future career development. And that led me all the way to a master's of science in Germany, where I was looking into brain and genetics, and then to a PhD in Scotland when I did genetics on neurodevelopmental disorders, which is like dyslexia, ADHD, and similar. And while I was doing that, the whole time I was then keeping up with my healthy eating and I started exercising for the first time in my life. I then also started being an athlete instead of just a gym bunny, which was completely different mindset for me. And because of my curiosity, because of my passion in all of that, I then also completed a postdoctoral fellowship in cancer research and then finally joined the university where I work now as a lecturer in medicine, medical sciences, and nutrition. And that was on purpose because I wanted to be around all the experts who research these topics every single day so that I can bring these topics closer to general public and also to my private one-to-one clients. I'd like to take a quick break now to let you know that today's show is sponsored by my book, Against Medical Advice. This book is a memoir and it tells the story of how I built my life back after suffering a stroke during my divorce. I discuss the nutritional, lifestyle, and mindset aspects that I put into practice to regain my health and rebuild my life. The book has been a labor of love, both writing it and publishing it, and I couldn't be more proud of it. Please pick up your copy from Amazon. For your very own signed copy, my email address is simone at simonegisandi.com. Oh, and I'd really appreciate it if you'd please consider leaving a review once you've read the book. And now, back to the show. That is such an incredible journey and such an incredible story. My goodness. I mean, to think that the army would offer you a scholarship and you turned it down, that is very courageous because most people want to take that opportunity. I mean, it's a scholarship, right? That's an amazing, amazing and amazing achievement, of course. Um, so at the moment, of course, and I want the the audience to know that anything that we have learned, I mean, if we look back time-wise, there have been many things that we were advised to do that no longer hold true to health, to nutrition, to well-being. So this is an ever-evolving area of life, despite the fact, like I said in the beginning, we eat multiple times a day, every day. So we always have to be at the forefront of what is actually happening in that field vis-a-vis how foods are actually processed and what we consume, be they from Mother Nature, be they from what is actually produced by by men. But I am curious because you did say that during your PhD, so this is just my own curiosity, and I'm sure that uh, people in the audience would want to know, what is the impact of what we eat on the brains, I guess, um, the way that it interfaces with those foods and how it utilizes the nutrients that it actually leads to things like you refer to, like dyslexia, ADHD, brain fog, things of that nature. That is such a vast topic that I don't think we've got enough time to address everything. However, there has been this new 
body of research coming up recently where microbiome is now the buzzword in Mm -hmm. the research and lots and lots of people have started focusing on microbiome especially after covid especially after seeing all these different manifestations of people's immune systems and how we dealt with disease and how we deal with everything else and why is there a young so so-called healthy person incapacitated with this virus in the hospital looking like a shadow of their former self and mm-hmm. why is a certain someone else completely fine after having the same infection so it's really really interesting and connection with microbiome which is a term the collective term for all the bacteria viruses, fungi, and also other stuff that they produce. I call them their poop (laughs) because they metabolize stuff, but it's easier to understand and say, well, they eat and then they poop, right? Just like us. So all of this combined is called the microbiome. And we are learning so much about how important it is and how it actually interacts with our body. And we have it on the skin, we have it in the gut, we have it in our um, gentle areas, you know, it's so, so, so important for overall health. However, how it connects to brain health is really interesting because there's this massive nerve that we have that directly connects brain to the gut and to the microbiome there. It's called the vagus nerve. And not many people knew about that nerve. I didn't know about that nerve for a very, very long time. And I was like, well, what does it make? It doesn't make sense. How is this, you know, how does that make any sense that this nerve is has any connection with brain? And how does it impact God brain, this bidirectional relationship? And then I've learned that actually the vagus nerve has these tiny nerve endings that go all the way to the gut lining and they can pick up the bacterial poop from the gut and we call that neurotransmitters Mm -hmm. and it can take it all the way up to the brain directly which is just mind-blowing and now the newest research is showing that actually dementia and alzheimer's can vastly vastly be influenced by the way that we eat either promoted the um, development of the disease or hindered or sometimes even prevented. So it's just incredible to the point that anxiety and depression are now not classified as mental health conditions anymore, but rather chronic conditions, which falls under the label of the conditions that I work with. Wow. So that's fascinating. Thank you so much for describing it in the way that you did. That is easy for, for everybody to understand Uh, Clearly, a lot of the neurotransmitters that dictate how we feel, especially when it comes to uh, the way that the brain feels or the way that we feel that we call mentally, Mm -hmm. is actually produced in the gut, even though up until now, we all thought that all of that is produced in the brain. Brain chemistry was obviously the term used. However, science has now proven that that's not actually the case, that it's actually produced in the gut, which clearly describes why it's important that we have a well-balanced diet, a clean diet, so that the body itself has all the raw materials to be able to build these neurotransmitters from what it actually can be built from. That's like saying, you know, if you want to build a house, are you going to use straws? Are you going to use twigs? Or are you going to go and use what's actually required bricks and mortar and the the concrete to build the foundation with? 
Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important to say here that it's not just what we eat. That is obviously something that we provide to our body as building block, but it's also the cultivation of our microbiome that is incredibly important so what we feed our gut bugs and that's something that a lot of people don't understand because certain neurotransmitters and certain molecules and um, certain fatty acids that are incredibly important for brain health and all over health and hormonal balance and everything else they cannot be produced by us they can only be produced by our microbiome, so our mm. gut bacteria. So we live like in symbiosis. So what I usually say to my client is you can imagine that your gut is like a universe. And in this universe, you've got galaxies and stars and gazillion of inhabitants, right? And when you eat in a certain way, if you follow typical Western diet, it's all actually called the sad diet, standard American American diet. diet. (laughs) It's called the sad diet. The perfect acronym. I know, it's so ironic. Um, So if you follow the standard American diet, which by the way is also in the Western Europe, so it's not just in America, um, then you are very, very likely to promote kind of like Star Wars environment in your gut. You know, you're going to have constant war zone there's going to be battles happening there there's going to be laser shooting um this can be imagined under a big term that i call inflammation and inflammation is basically really that war zone of cytokines which are molecules that promote it or they your immune system is trying to store it away but your bacteria is actually causing even more of it because you have this imbalance of what needs to be there so what you want to achieve for overall health is you want to have peace in the in the star wars zone right because when you do have that war happening in your gut what happens is that all this cytokine storm and inflammation is slowly eroding your protection in the gut your gut lining and that protection is incredibly important to separate the bugs to separate the food to separate the poop away from the blood because you don't want these things inside of your blood but as as you allow this star wars environment to continue to happen it slowly slowly starts eroding all this gut lining your protection against all that and it starts having holes in it and we call this leaky gut syndrome And when this happens, then bacteria and feces and other stuff can enter the bloodstream and it can lead to all sorts of complications. It can then deliver these things to other organs around the body and also can end up and result in sepsis, which is very, very scary. So what you do want is eat the stuff that are building blocks for your own cells, which is a macro-driven approach, which quite a lot of personal trainers usually promote and lead towards. So you you are given a certain amount of calories per day, and then say you need to eat this many protein, this and this many grams of carbohydrates, and this many grams of fats, which is fine. However, you would probably want to look a little bit further, a little bit deeper into 
well, what does my gut microbiome want to eat in order to stay strong, in order to have an army of protectors, an army to secure my gut from all of that Star Wars happening in there? And that's then where you look into, well, do I eat enough fiber? So I need to have a lot and lots of fiber. Where do I find fiber? In veggies, lots of different veggies. The more diverse your diet is, the better your health's going to be. And uh, lots of fruit and, of course, grains and so many other things that you can enjoy to promote health of your gut microbiome and your own health as a consequence. Yes, perfect. Thank you so much. That is such incredible advice because I think that a lot of people don't understand what their bodies need. And so to that point, is there something that anybody could do? Is there a test, for example, to say, hey, what exactly does my particular unique, biochemically unique microbiome need to to be able to be productive, to operate at optimal level, to run on all cylinders so that I always feel great, so that I always have energy, so that I don't have any brain fog, so that my hormones are well-balanced and I could lose weight with ease. What can people do to be able to identify what it is that they need in particular? Well, there's a lot of things. Right now, the first company that pops into my mind, and I'm by no means affiliated with them whatsoever, is Zoe. And uh, Zoe is an international company founded by a lot of scientists and experts, professors in the field, and supported with AI as well, and very, very personalized, where they supply you with that microbiome test. So you provide them with your poop, (laughs) and they actually see what holds true for you, and they give you your glucose measure, And every time you eat food, they measure how your body responds to different food. No two people are the same. As a geneticist, we always like to work with twin studies because we're comparing genetics between the twins, right? Mm -hmm. But what microbiome is, is something so unique that we can't even compare between two twins. And this is why I keep saying to people, when you're reading scientific papers and when you're reading research that has been done on people, Please be mindful that you need to understand the methodology that they used. And it can be quite detrimental to your health if you just take something that you read. For example, keto diet that was developed because it worked on epileptic children. It wasn't developed for general population. It wasn't developed for weight loss. It was not meant to be done for a longer period of time. It's a medical intervention to kind of press a reset button for epileptic children and then slowly reintroduce the right type of foods. And this is where people go wrong when they're reading these kind of stuff and can get quite scary. So companies like Zoe can help you with that. But I'm being mindful that sometimes uh, these approaches can be a little bit out of reach for population because they might be a little bit too expensive. And uh, this is why it's important to find someone like me (laughs) or other nutritionists who do specialize in microbiome, who can take you as the individual that you are, map your symptoms, map your triggers, make sure that, for example, if you can't handle brown beans, that we figure out what kind of other 
resistant starches and type of fiber you do handle and introduce that into your microbiome? How can we reduce the inflammation with the lifestyle that you lead? What can we do on a personal level? So I feel that there is a rise of specialism in this field now. And I'm pretty sure that you can easily find someone who just matches your needs and matches your personality that you can work with. And and I'm sure I know you're in Scotland, but you do do work with people globally so that they could reach you yes. online if need be. Okay, perfect. We'll discuss that Absolutely. at the end. But I did want to ask, um, and nobody better to answer this question than you, since you've studied nutrition and genetics and had done your research to the level that you did. A lot of people who have immigrated, much like I have from my home country, so the the regions that we grow up in that produce certain foods that we typically, as we grow and as we develop as children or even in infancy and young, like when we are super young, like two, three years old toddlers, do our microbiomes develop in accordance to those foods that we eat at that stage? And then in, in adulthood, much like how it is for me, I've immigrated to North America. So here, of course, now I have exposure to foods I had never would have had I stayed where I was born. Things like sushi, which is, you know, the consumption of raw fish in conjunction with starchy white rice, and then soy sauce and and uh, wasabi and all kinds of other things. Chinese food. Uh, Chinese food is typically made with a lot of MSG, which is very disruptive to the gut. Um, and then we also have different other, of course, cuisines from around the world that our body is not used to. So it's sort of a shock to the body, at least it was for me. And I'm wondering whether those kind of diets, so my question is around the diet trends, um, diets and, and cuisines, typically, you know, we, we start first to experiment. Well, I want to try Japanese food. Does that contribute to the breakdown of our gut microbiome that leads to what we call diseases, chronic diseases, disruptions, hormonal imbalances, brain fog, and things of that nature? Short answer, yes, it does. Uh, long answer, microbiome is wonderful. And mm -hmm. you start developing already when you are in your mother's womb. So mm -hmm. in utero, we have seen that uh, before that, people thought that actually it was sterilized and you only start building your microbiome as you are born into this world. But actually, we've now shown that you already start building your microbiome as you are inside of your mother. Mm -hmm. And um, when you are born, the mode of delivery definitely influences the way that your microbiome is going to be composed so if you're delivered vaginally you obviously pick up the bugs that your mother has in the vaginal microbiome which can contribute to your overall health is actually a good thing you want that um, same is with modes of deliveries where, for example, they don't empty mother's bowels prior to giving birth and there's feces around there as well and all that. The baby is exposed to this. That actually contributes to the health and to building up of the microbiome. And then, of course, conversely, if you're born with very sterile techniques such as C-section, then you will be lacking that type of microbiome that you would have gotten otherwise. Luckily, now science is bringing forward new types of baby formulas which contain a lot of probiotics and other types of bacteria that babies do need for development of healthy microbiome so we are 
moving forward with that to ensure the health of infants, which is very, very important. And then, of course, when I was growing up, I was eating carrots from my granny's garden straight out of the soil. So, you know, I would pick, I was still crunchy from the soil sometimes. So I picked that microbiome up. And then you would try to learn how to walk and you would lick all the floor usually at home, right? You pick up that microbiome. So as you're picking all these things up, your body is maintaining a, some sort of a balance. And that's the key word here is balanced. And we call this biosis. So you want to have a balanced gut microbiome. And as you age and things happen to you, either infections or chronic stress or um, accident, or you've given an antibiotic because you've been ill, or um, you're exposed to not so optimal nutrition, all of these things contribute to shift in that balance. So you're starting to develop something that we call dysbiosis. And dysbiosis is a scientific term that you can happily Google and you will find lots and lots of research articles on, which is this imbalance of the good and bad components, let's say. This is super simplified, by the way. It's a lot more complicated than that. But let's talk about just the goodies and the baddies. And when you have a balance of goodies and baddies, the goodies produce chemicals that keep the bodies in check. They prevent them to multiply. So the bodies can't do much harm. You still have them because we still need them, but you have them in quantities that are not harmful because the goodies are keeping them in check. Now, say that you've immigrated and changed your environment and are starting to eat foods that are promoting this imbalance that you're starting to eat foods that are not feeding the goodies, but are feeding the bodies. Mm-hmm. Now, suddenly the bodies have something amazing. The bacteria have something amazing. It's called quorum sensing. And it's the ability of understanding that where it's just a little bit of them, they're harmless, but as they multiply to, to larger number, they start producing toxins because then they're like, Oh, now there's enough of us. Now they can't get rid of us. So they start producing toxins or biofilms or anything else. And now you have too many of the bodies and they start producing the, the chemicals that don't allow the goodies to multiply. Mm-hmm. And the bodies are keeping the goodies in check and start creating that war zone inside of your gut. They start creating the inflammation. And that's what can happen. Now, that's the scary type of bit. But what's the good part about microbiome now, why I love it so freaking much, is that you can literally change it within 24 hours. Wow. So it's it's amazing. And even though something happened to you or you had to take an antibiotic due to a life-threatening infection or you are on hormonal pill and is dysregulating everything or you were in a hospital you know and you had to do something um or you had food poisoning as well (laughs) there's so many things that can happen to you to throw that balance off equally you have opportunity every single day to start working towards the balance so you can imagine if you're not providing the fuel for the bodies anymore and you continue to provide the fuel for the goodies in addition to adding new goodies into your system through probiotic foods, and we can talk about probiotic foods a lot more later, 
then you can promote that balance again and you can um, restore this bio you, you can restore the biosis and you can have this happy healthy gut again it can be done and no you don't need supplements for it and also you don't need medication for it it can simply be done by doing the same boring things day in and day out wow so that's that speaks to why uh the father of medicine hippocrates said that food can be your medicine and medicine yeah. can is actually your food that's fantastic. And as, so there's a couple of things I wanted to go back to. So clearly you said that um, everything gets built as we are inside our mothers as we're developing uh, during pregnancy. So I think that, and I really want to emphasize this because oftentimes people think that what the mother eats, well, it's okay because the baby's biosis starts to develop once they're born, once they're outside of the mom, but that's not the case at all. And I have done a little bit of research and I do remember because I had both my kids vaginally and I was so happy. And it's funny that you said what you said about how they asked, because they did ask me, of course, I was not as informed as I am now. And I did give birth to both my children in a hospital, which of course, hospitals are typically the places that they try to keep as sterile as possible because they don't want to have any infection outbreaks. However, so yes, they did tell me not to have any food in me. They asked me to, um, to fast so that I don't have a bowel movement while I'm pushing to obviously give birth, um, which of course I didn't listen to because that's just in my nature. And I did have a, I did, I remember that while I was pushing, uh, I was feeling, I'm like, oh my goodness, I have to go to the bathroom number two. But at the same time, I have to give birth to this baby. Um, so I'm so glad that you made the connection between that because oftentimes we look at that as the body's waste and that it has no place near anything of that nature, especially like near a baby that comes out from the same region when you give birth vaginally. And certainly there in the mucosa lining of the vaginal uh, canal, there are so many things which are microscopic, we can see them, but they are so important to the health of the baby. And of course, in, in the body's infinite wisdom and mother nature and the way that everything is built, the reason why they are there is like strictly to be able to produce the things that the baby needs to thrive and to be able to develop its own immune system and its own biosis so that it's actually, you know, uh, put together for health and thriving later on in life. And I think that mm. a lot of people don't know that. So for those of you, especially the ladies, if you're looking to get pregnant and a lot of nutritionists and people that I have connected with, and of course, in my studies, and I'm sure you can agree with this, Dr. Monica, it's important to always make sure that you not only ready your body for the pregnancy so that it's actually, it has everything it needs to carry a healthy pregnancy that's not going to rob you of anything to give to the baby, leaving you exposed to getting sick or weak. And it's super important to have that really sound nutrition during the pregnancy itself so that the baby gets what it needs and the body is ready so that when the baby is born, it has all of what it needs in its gut to be able to have this healthy biosis and balance and all the goodies and the baddies in balance to be able to make sure that, you know, health is uh, ensured of. And on the next thing, because we did talk about the cuisine and thank you so much for touching on that. And it's so important to also remember that, and you did emphasize this point and I'm so happy because uh, oftentimes when we get sick, I think people really panic. They run to the doctors to take medications and they think that a pill from the outside is going to rebalance things. 
but you emphasize the fact that the body has this innate, amazing ability to get things back in balance just through our diet. So if we get back on track with what we eat, and I know that every culture has what you refer to as probiotics, pro meaning for, so biotics that are for the, the healthy gut environment. So I know that in my culture, and I'm sure you agree with me, I think we come from the Eastern Bloc. Um, we have sauerkraut, which is amazing. Oh, yeah. I have that every day. I love it. I know in other cultures, they have kimchi. So that's another probiotic that's actually super healthy. So I think across the board, most cultures have developed such a thing in the infinite wisdom of our healers of the past that provide us with all that the body needs to be able to thrive and be healthy and get back on track in the event that we yeah. get off track. Oh, that is one of my favorite topics. And I keep saying that I think we're starting to do a full circle back now as um as a society, as human beings, um, obviously before we had modern medicine, and I need to emphasize that modern medicine is still very, very important. And sometimes medication is needed mm -hmm. for certain conditions. But if we're just struggling with a viral infection, like a standard cold or a flu or something, and we're not exhibiting too bad of, you know, uh, symptoms, then providing your body with probiotics and fiber and fluids is good enough and you don't need anything else so what i wanted to touch on is that circle that in old days before we had the modern medicine before that accident where paracetamol or um where aspirin was discovered from the aspergillus fungi um you know it's been always done through food like you we all have grannies that make us chicken soup or something when we're ill, because that was done like that before that. One thing that my mother did when I was little, she would ferment garlic in honey mm -hmm. and then strain that. And garlic is nature's antibiotic and it con contains a lot of prebiotics. So prebiotic is actually food for our good gut bacteria. So what you want to do is you want to consume prebiotic with probiotics, which are the good gut bugs, and then they create something that's called postbiotics, or what I call bacterial poop, which are the good type of chemicals that promote overall health. So garlic is amazing prebiotic. And when you ferment food and when you create kimchi and sauerkraut and other fermented deliciousness with lots of herbs and spices, that contains both actually it contains pre and probiotics in the process of fermentation so when you eat something like that it really is amazing for your overall gut health and you know we did that before when people got ill we provided the medicine in forms of certain drinks fermented drinks special teas i know middle eastern people have these amazing mint apple teas and stuff like that um then yes we've got fermented foods all over the place there's just such a rich culture of food that is promoting health and then obviously modern medicine was born and it was all the buzz because we thought oh well you know we found the shortcut to health we prolonged life. It's amazing. Now we're living so long. But now actually the life expectancy is starting to go down again because we are dying from the diseases that are caused by lifestyle and nutrition. Non-communicable diseases are now the number one killer. 
and 97% of cancers are nutrition and lifestyle related, which is just mm-hmm. mental. And that's not my sentence. That is the WHO research. So you can go on World Health Organization and you can see it yourself. Um, so then, you know, we had these two cycles. And now, as we're researching microbiome, as we're researching the importance of what we put into your, your body, now we're coming a full cycle again and understanding that food really is medicine <laughs> and we're <laughs> trying to promote that again however it is so important to also say it's not just food i know so many people who are incredibly strict with their diet like really really strict to the point that i can't be i can't adhere to that strictness personally that's why i call my methods breaking bad it's important to have the va- it's important to have the balance um and they're still not healthy and then you you dig deeper. And this is why people who practice lifestyle medicine, like myself, are so important. Because what we understand is, is not just nutrition, is not just exercise. There's also stress, which is crazy, crazy high on the factors that can change our microbiome. Because the stress that we feel produces a lot of chemicals inside of our body that then influence the the biosis, the balance inside of our gut, the way that we are emotionally wired, our emotional intelligence, emotional health can directly impact our gut and vice versa. Our gut can directly impact our brain health and emotional health as well. So all of these things are connected. And what modern medicine used to do and still does to the point where we're getting better, but it still keeps doing it, is that they look into the body in isolation. So as you present to the medical doctor with a headache, they will look at the headache. They will look at the head and look, well, I'll give you something to kill the pain. So you get painkillers for a headache. They won't connect the dots and look downstream and say, have you drank enough water today? Are you hydrated? How about your hormones? Are your hormones in balance? Are you coming up to a period? perhaps have you been under a lot of physical stress like for example sometimes I overdo it in the gym because I'm a power lifter and you know some I just keep trying to get stronger and sometimes I do it a little bit too hard and I don't rest enough and I will develop a headache so is all these things that modern medicine does not look into and we need to start understanding that our body is all connected we are one entity and we are also connected to our environment. So no amount of clean eating is going to help you if you're getting in toxins from outside. For example, if you're living in an environment with a lot of smog or exhaust, um, exhaust, oh, what's yes. that word? Exhaust <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Or, um, you know, if you're not going out in the nature, walking in the forest or on the beach or whatever. If you're not drinking water, it doesn't matter if you're drinking zero calorie stuff, it still affects and impacts your microbiome. And we can talk about um, artificial sweeteners or natural sweeteners all you want. They still have an impact. So calories are not everything. And what you really want to look at is this holistic approach. And this is why nowadays there's so many of us who are preaching this holistic thing and way of life because it's not good enough to just do one thing it will help but it's not everything 
I think it's part of the bigger picture and it's important to understand that, for example, you have issues with your liver, you would want to work with a specialist in, in liver health so that you can understand in which way does the liver impact the rest of my body and how does it work in concert with the other body systems and the other organs and what can I do to optimize its health. However, you cannot do it at the uh, expense of the other systems and the other, or to the exclusion of the other body systems and the other organs, because they do work together. So you have to look at it much like you said, the word holistic, the reason why the word holistic, for example, my credentials are, I'm a holistic nutritionist. And that's exactly what we learned. We look at the whole body and how everything interacts. And the example that you gave about the headache, of course, it, it it's nothing to do. Like, for example, the brain is not even a uh, an organ that feels pain, it has no pain receptors. So, I mean, and we could see this by, they do, and there have been many videos even on YouTube where, you know, they do these uh, surgeries live, They, the brain doesn't feel anything and the person is able to, to communicate with the doctors. Um, so it has nothing to do with that. And the painkillers are typically exactly what they are called. They kill just the pain. They don't kill the actual, what is the cause of the headache itself? Why do we not go to that? instead of just severing the communication channel where the body is actually communicating to you to say, hey, there's something off balance here that you need to address. So I'm going to make you feel pain because I don't have words to talk to you to tell you, hey, something hurts, address it. Like I need some salt, some, um, you know, any, some water, some hydration that you haven't given me, or you took this out of balance, address it. But you, you spoke at large about the um, lifestyle. So I wanted to ask your uh, your opinion on beyond what we eat, so the diet that we build for ourselves, how does lifestyle actually impact the absorption of the nutrients? And much like you said, our mindset, and you talked about this in the beginning, even about your own journey when you started working with a, with a health coach. So even from our sleep patterns to the stress levels, like what factors should we consider first and foremost? I know there are many and it's very unique to everybody, but if there's an overarching umbrella kind of a of a few things that we should all look at because they typically affect most people at large what would you mm -hmm. say those lifestyle things are and i want people to before you start to think of it like this because we talked about neurotransmitters which are related to and i had this conversation with a friend last night and i said think of a lemon <clears throat> think of licking that lemon and what happens? Just one thought will lead to a physiological reaction. You start to salivate. So clearly, intangible things lead to tangible results. So from that perspective, I want you to explain to people, because I think that oftentimes they just think, well, what I put in the body, which is tangible, affects my tangible body. But that's yeah. far from the truth. That's a very good one. And I'm glad you asked me, because as a scientist, right? Hmm. I'm very much on the tangible stuff <laughs> well, yes. as a biological scientist, medical scientist, which, you know, all I've been learning my entire career and education, which is now coming to 20 years, is uh, about the tangible, about the body, about, okay, maybe we can't see the bacteria, but we know they're there, so they're still tangible. And when I started diving into mindset and stuff like that, I didn't understand it. Like psychology was for us, the fake science, we called it. We were always making fun of psychologists because we're like, oh, they think they're scientists because they're not working in the lab, you know, which is ridiculous because now 
looking back and looking at my own journey and childhood traumas and everything that's been happening to me and how my body reacted to that I'm like oh my god the ignorance that I had <laughs> so um is definitely important and all connect, connect definitely connected but if I were to choose one thing that would be the most important thing I would actually choose sleep as a lifestyle and there's a lot of studies done on sleep and the importance of it. One study is really cool. It's been done in Aberdeen University here in Scotland, which I found fascinating. They have shown, or maybe they've shown that even earlier, but I just read it in a poster by a PhD student, that it is only during sleep that there's certain processes in our brain triggered, which are kind of like a cleaning mechanism. So as we go about our day, as we go about our movement and food and thinking and this and that, our, you know, the body, inside of the body, we've got some toxins naturally, the waste material, you know, just like you have to pee and go on number two as well. These things need to get excreted. They need to go out. However, in our brain, that's really hard to do. So we've got some specialized cells they're called microglia. And the glial cells are like the cleaners. They, they clean things away. It's like macrophages of the brain. And there's certain processes that happen only while we sleep and only at a certain amount of hours that we sleep that this starts happening. And that is taking away the waste and the toxins and the damage that's been done in the brain and, and basically sweeping it away and clearing it out. So that's one thing that happens during sleep. We also know that the body is restoring and regenerating as we sleep in other ways. Your muscles, your nervous system, you calm down, you know, you, you go through sleep cycles, which are very important. So having certain lengths of sleep is also important. Again, you can't blueprint it. We're all very different. So some people say, oh, you need to have eight hours of sleep a day. That holds true for some people. It doesn't hold true for some other people. We've got different circadian rhythms. So as we work with our circadian rhythms, it's important to recognize that some people thrive on maybe five and some people need 10. So it is all about personalization. Um, but what also happens is that while we sleep, our gut health gets impacted by that. And the term for that is actually called, uh, called rest and digest. Mm -hmm. And it's this natural fasting cycle that happens. So intermittent fasting has recently gained a lot of popularity amongst people, just like keto, again, is being used as a tool for quick weight loss results, which again, I don't support. So for majority of people, I say to them, please don't do intermittent fasting because they don't do intermittent fasting. They simply skip breakfast. That's a difference. <laughs> it's a very big difference. What I would like to for people to think is you're always wanting to work with your body to make sure that you're keeping the blood sugars in check to prevent spikes and dips and spikes and dips and spikes and dips. And that can be achieved in multiple ways. While you're sleeping, your body gets this opportunity to take everything that you've provided it through the day in your gut and really clean it out and sort everything out and rest. 
rest and digest. And so we got these natural circle cycles of intermittent fasting and it is not recommended to eat late in the evening. So it's not recommended to eat, say about four hours before you go to bed. And if you then have eight hours of sleep, that's already 12 hours of fasting naturally without skipping meals on purpose. Um, and then, of course, when you wake up, what you want to give your body is a balanced meal that has everything and not just a quick cereal bar or something like that on the go. Right. Um, so sleep ticks off a lot of boxes in terms of lifestyle. Then exercise. Now, a lot of people are aware that exercise is important, but they don't know why it's important. They just think, oh, well, if I move my body, I'm going to lose weight. But now studies have actually shown that an obese person who exercises is probably in most possible ways healthier than a thin or lean person that does not exercise, which is absolutely incredible. So that's why I never focus on counting calories with my, my clients. I also don't focus on macros. I focus on a lot of different aspects of health, but I always say health has no size. You can, you know, be of different sizes and still be incredibly healthy if you take off these boxes. And then it's just time and it's just time. And then with time, your body will find its own balance and get itself where it needs to be. So, yeah, all these crash diets and crazy things that people do because they want to be slim in 12 weeks for the beach. That's causing more pain than good, unfortunately. So true. It takes time. It takes patience, definitely. Of course. I mean, I, and I was going to touch on on the idea of diets, but I think you spoke to that. It's important for people to know that, um, like you said, you talked about the keto diet. And when I was doing fitness competitions, I relied heavily on that. However, I did see at the expense of my health, I did see the results that, let's say, that particular sport is looking for, for you to have at the moment that you step on a stage in front of the judges, which is great. So you did achieve that, but at the expense of what? I mean, my um, my menstrual cycle was off. I was very hormonally imbalanced. My sleep was completely off. I was forcing the workout, forcing, even though I had no energy, no strength, no power, but I was forcing it just to the expense of the, the other things. And forcing foods that were prescribed in the sense of like, okay, just fat and protein, no carbohydrates, even though I knew they were important and I needed them. So in in regards to that, and of course, there's a plethora of diets. However, I do find, and, and from my perspective as a nutritionist, the med Mediterranean diet actually hits a, a lot of the checkboxes to lead to optimal health. And I know that whenever I work with clients, I, I prescribe that to at least for people to look at as a guide for um, the fertility outcome so that you can get all yes. the things in the body to be able to balance your hormones. You get all the macronutrients that are important for fats. And for the ladies, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because clearly you've done way more research than I have. But I do find that when it comes to the fasting, we have to work with because we're not, I mean, men are so, they respond so differently to fasting than us women do. My goodness. Yeah. I mean, they're full of energy when they fast, even though they do these crazy just water fasts. 
first women I found, because of course I've tested a lot of stuff on myself and I've done crazy, crazy fasting periods myself. Um, if you work outside of your hormonal balance, and of course the, the main three hormones, um, testosterone, progesterone, and estrogen, you really have to work with those and see where you're at. At certain mm -hmm. times of the month, you are optimized yes. for being yes. able to fast. At certain times of the month, you are not optimized. You're doing damage, I in fact. Fully agree. Fully agree. I'm glad you brought this up because that has been something that people have not understood prior. Mm -hmm. um, and the fasting diet came out. And like you said, the men, oh my God, lucky them. You know, they were really yes. going to get amazing results. And therefore, a lot of male personal trainers or people who do uh, promote intermittent fasting, they say, oh, but it's great. It's fantastic. And I need to keep reminding them that it is fantastic for them. It is not fantastic for ovulating women. So the women that are within the menstrual cycle, it might be okay for certain people. Um, but just like you mentioned, it is really depending on what time of the cycle. I would have to recheck again whether it's fallopian, uh, whether it's the follicular phase or luteal phase when it's optimal to fast. But I've started learning about my own cycle and have right. noticed incredible fluctuations in strength in the gym for example in my luteal phase which is the phase between ovulation and the period I am weak as anything there I cannot lift anything so it's so important for me to just go for lower weight and more reps it's different type of workouts that I do whereas on my period and then for the first 14 days before the ovulation I hulk out I break my personal bests, I can lift heavy, I can, you know, do a lot of things. And this hormonal fluctuation in women also affects the way that we metabolize food. Mm -hmm. So the way that we process food in our gut effect is affected by hormonal regulation as well. It's all communicating to each other, you know, and our microbiome is with this as well. So it's constantly shifted population and everything else. So you can't eat, well, I mean, you can eat the same way all the time if you want to, but if you're wanting these optimal results, then you need to really map yourself and see your body's naturally going to crave stuff. Mm -hmm. I think I know pretty much every woman on this planet who gets cravings around period time. That's right. That's right. <laughs> right. So would that be clever time to fast? I'm not so sure. So it is really, really important to just go with this natural fluctuation and there are optimal times to do the fasting longer fasting if you wish so and not so optimal times but that's really like in-depth coaching and that really goes after you've been addressed so many other stuff like the basic things hydration sleep exercise all the other stuff so we only get to fasting after my clients have optimized everything else and then we look at okay well what are your symptoms, what you struggle with. And a lot of times when it comes to chronic conditions, I rather go for coaching in terms of nutrition to manage your blood sugar and insulin rather than nutrition for, well, let's just fast for so, so long. Because that's in term what is actually going to be managing the rest of your health is if you manage the inflammation in your gut at the first thing. And most of the chronic conditions stem from insulin imbalance. So 
that's kind of something that I like to, yeah, that's kind of what I like to address first. So from the research as an aside, because I want to move on to some of the nutritional myths and and maybe the future of nutrition, since you're on the cutting edge of that and you're lecturing at a university. Um, I do want to mention, so for the ladies, uh, through my research, and of course, I kind of went deep into this, especially because I went through my my fitness journey uh, and I saw the damage I did because I hadn't studied or I hadn't actually even tapped into my own system. I find, and I know you spoke about luteal and follicular phase. So in layman's terms, for the ladies, when you are in your estrogen uh, point, which is before you start ovulating and before you start to bleed, that's much like you, what you described. And it's the same for me. That's when you feel your strength. That's when you can fast the most. That's when you're powerful. You're strong. You can break your personal records, your personal best. And that's when you can do the fasting. That's when you could do like the one day, the two day, the three day fasting with water or whatnot. Um, And that's when you could do the heavy workouts. When I get to the point where I'm on my period, much like what you said, I'm craving the carbs, the body's like, give me carbs. Of course, uh, ladies stay away from the refined stuff. That's not good. It's going to do inflammation. It's going to do damage in the gut. That's not what the body's looking for. But things like sweet potato are probably one of the best things you can consume. And we also, we crave chocolate. I mean, I know I do. And what yeah. the body in that at that time is actually asking for, and the reason why it is chocolate is because we're asking for magnesium. The body's asking for magnesium. You could get a lot of that from cacao powder, not to be confused with cocoa, but cacao because it's raw. Uh, or you could take magnesium supplements. So uh, that's what I have to say on that term because I've done so much research on it and I've tested it out on myself. And ladies, please work with your body. Don't force yourself. I know that the the fitness industry and the personal training industry is dominated by men and they prescribe things from their perspective. That's why oftentimes women kind of try tend to gravitate towards working with women because they understand. And I know when I was uh, training uh, my clients, I would have to kind of scale back because they would say, I'm on my period. And I'm like, oh my God, okay, I know you can't lift heavy. I cannot push you to the degree that I would push you when you are in your in your strength phase. However, men don't understand these cycles. They don't know that we feel the onset of our periods. We know when it's coming. We know when we have our, our cramps. We know when we feel the cravings. So we know, and we can guide our personal trainers as to which way we can go. And and then even the nutrition has to be dialed in in the same way. Like how much more carbs do you take in when you're going through what phase of your period? So that's a that's a obviously a... Um, an area in and of itself and work with women who understand that. Now, I really wanted to ask, so some of the nutritional myths, I know there are so many myths and it's so difficult for people to traverse the waters of what's online and so many different attempts. I mean, there are people who always prescribe, go ahead and do keto. Keto is great. And I know that it's short lived because your body, especially as a woman, will eventually really force you to take in some carbs because it needs it during the phase when you're in the progesterone phase, when you're about to bleed. So what are some of the, especially because you're a scientist and you do research and you lecture, what are some of the most prevalent misconceptions that you've encountered or encounter even at the present time? And what does the science truly say about them? And I know it's evolving. However, what what are we dealing with now? That is such a loaded question. Honestly, I don't think I can answer all points of it, but we've definitely touched on some and for example, currently it's keto and intermittent fasting. Definitely um, 
there's a lot of benefits and a lot of misconceptions about both. And again, what I need to stress is that these diets have been researched in depth. However, the population on which they have been researched is very different. So, for example, intermittent fasting that was researched on male population has shown all the amazing benefits from improved immune function to restoration of the insulin um, function to um, more energy to feeling better, just lots and lots of health benefits. And then when they've done that on ovulating women, they've actually shown detrimental outcomes such as loss of periods and um, making basically damage in deeper level as in ovarian level and the follicles in our ovaries and stuff like that. So it can be very, very detrimental. Yet a lot of people are still proponents of these things because of the body of research that's been shown. And looking at the medical education, at least here around me, is that medical doctors get like negligible amount of nutritional education um, on on their courses. But one thing that they do get is fasting and they are then being informed wrongly that fasting is beneficial for everyone, which again, it's it's quite shocking. So when I gave my talk to a group of young entrepreneurs, amongst which there was a medical doctor, and I was telling them that they shouldn't be skipping breakfast, that they want to be keeping their insulin in steady levels at all times and not promoting spikes and dips and all of that kind of stuff, that, um, that person was not convinced and challenged me with the body of research on the intermittent fasting and why it's shown to be so good. And I said, well, there's another thing that is out there right now, a very hot topic in science that people don't understand yet. And it's called chrononutrition. Mm-hmm. And is chrono means time. And there's various different ways that you can manage your nutrition with time so it's time restricted eating and it's intermittent fasting right so it's kind of like are you just eating it within six hours of the day but then it matters which six hours of the day you are eating because it's been actually shown that the same meal eaten as a breakfast versus eaten as a dinner is metabolized in a different way so yeah. process inside of our bodies in a different way, not because of the amount of activity that we do afterwards, but because of the chrono nutrition, the chronobiological stuff. So the way that our microbiome is activated at different times of the day. So, yeah, fine. You're doing intermittent fasting. You're doing time restricted eating. Great. OK, don't do it at the time when your body is at most active and that for most people is in the morning mm-hmm. and towards afternoon so you want to have fuel for that you want to be fed properly and then as you come back home and you start winding down and you know you're doing nothing else but maybe some house chores and lying in front of the tv that's a perfect time for you to not eat anything <laughs> yet, yet most people under eat they under eat throughout the day and that's something that i work with my clients the most is they consume too little calories from the morning to the evening 
And as they then wind down in the evening, sit on the couch, then they're not being distracted by their environment, by the work, by all the activities that they need to do. And the hunger comes with vengeance. And that's when snacking happens. That's where everything comes. And then there's unhealthy habits and unhealthy behaviors towards food that start happening. And people don't understand that. And they start thinking, oh, something wrong with me. You know, I just can't resist. There's something wrong with me. Like, it's nothing wrong with you. It's just that you're not listening to your body, which is why I need to now teach you how to do. So eat in the morning, stop eating in the evening a bit earlier, and you'll be fine. And as soon as they fix that, they're like, ooh, I don't even have cravings anymore. I'm like, of course you don't, because you've given your body what your body needed. So that's one thing is definitely intermittent fasting and not providing enough sugars is another thing. A lot of people think that by not providing carbs, they will lose weight and they can trick their body. Your body's smarter than that. You can adjust it for a while, but what will happen is if you continue to treat your body in a certain way, your body will adapt every single process that is happening inside of it to that treatment. So if you decide that you're not giving your body any carbs, it will switch. It will start utilizing different fuel, but not before it gets rid of all the carbs inside of your body. And guess what? You store carbs inside of your muscles in terms of glycogen and a lot of people don't understand that so they just don't eat carbs and they think oh it's fine i'm in ketosis but i'm like well your body's literally eating your own muscles because you're not providing it the fuel that it needs our brain the only fuel that our brain can utilize is glucose <laughs> so your body's going to turn to the sources of glucose into inside of you and will literally start de degrading your muscles to type tap into that glycogen so they can provide fuel for the brain so it's like why would you do that if you can I, just yeah sorry. i think people don't even know that uh so the science because of course i i continue i don't do research but i do study the, the the studies that are out there so uh the body typically because of course you know i i tried like i was telling you i did keto for my um for my competitions so the mm -hmm. body, especially for us women, um, will be able to tap into your muscle and be able to take what it needs and convert very quickly within three minutes. Like it's a very quick conversion so that it can get what it needs to continue to get you through that workout you're forcing the body to do because it needs access to something. Um to tap into the body, uh, to tap into the body fat, to tap into another source, which is the fat, it takes about five to six hours. So what is the body going to go to for quick, fast, because you're in the moment working out, forcing it to do things that it needs some sort of source. It's like saying, if you want the car to run, it needs a source of energy, it needs gas. If you want a machine or whatever, a radio to work, you need to put batteries in it. And if the batteries are dying, you have to put a new battery in it. So the body's going to say, okay, I need a source of energy. It goes after your muscles so much faster than it goes after your fat. Because if that were the case, then people would be able to burn fat all kinds. Nobody would be struggling with weight. Nobody would have any kind of issues with having, you know, a little bit of fat on their abdomen or on their thighs or on their bum. So the science is there behind it. And I think the proof is in real life, like very practical proof is out there to see it. 
uh, even on your own self. So thank you for addressing that. That's so important for people to know. And of course, you're speaking from very scientific perspective and you have the credentials for people to understand that that's actually what happens. So work with a professional. So Dr. Monica, the future of nutrition research, like I said, you are on the cutting edge and you're there, you're doing the research, you're teaching at the university. When we're looking ahead, what exciting avenues do you see for nutrition research? Like what are what are some of the breakthroughs or technologies that are on the horizon? Because I know we're like um, dealing and we have been dealing with uh, nutrigenomics and all kinds of other things. But what's on the horizon that could revolutionize the way that we approach nutrition? Um, right now, the things that are the loudest in the field where I am at and possibly they, you know, there's always things that I don't know. I, either i don't claim that i'm an expert because you don't know what you don't know but what am i surrounded with at the moment at most is the chronobiology chrono nutrition so time and how time affects the processes in your body mm-hmm. but also um fmt and personalized medicine now fmt is something that is absolutely incredible it's a fecal matter transfer Mm. and is something that has been saving lives for a while and now they're actually really working hard to optimize the collection and the processes and the delivery of that in order to help people with gut problems which are obviously then leading to a lot of life-threatening conditions. Now, it does sound a little bit disgusting when you say fecal matter transfer. If, basically, if I can interrupt you, Dr. Monica, just yeah. explain to the audience what is fecal matter transfer. Is it do you take fecal matter from one individual who's healthy yes. and you transfer it to somebody who's unhealthy? Okay, that's yeah. what I thought. Very that self-explanatory. I, I was about to explain it. So it does sound a little bit disgusting. And yes. funny enough, human beings are the only species of, you know, like animalistic. Obviously, we're not animals. We have evolved by that, past that. But every other animal on this planet eats another one's poop. You can you can see it with dogs, right? That's whenever, so true. Whenever your dog is feeling under the weather, something's not right. What did they go for? They go for grass and they go for poo. They start eating that. And we're constantly like, no, 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 don't do that. Well, actually, they can smell which one is healthy. And when they consume that, it helps them inoculate their own unhealthy microbiome with the healthy donor. And that's the concept behind FMT with human beings. Now, Mm -hmm. it was developed first for patients that struggle with the recurrent infections of Clostridium difficile Mm -hmm. or C. diff. And C. diff can be, it can be fatal. A lot of people died from this infection because it infects you and it keeps infecting you. It keeps eroding your everything inside uh, to the point where patients actually die. And no amount of antibiotics help. Nothing helps. It keeps coming back. Wow. So the only way that they've managed to keep C. diff in check was by doing a transfer of a healthy donor's poop into the sick person. Now, obviously, in the beginning, it was through a tube and it was absolutely gross and everything now the process is very very different and what they've shown actually that it took one single intervention wow that's all it took 
one single intervention and the other person got cured from the C. diff and has improved to bounce back, has managed to bounce back, improve the quality of life and really start thriving again. Now that's one one use of C. diff. The other, uh, not C. diff, <laughs> FMT, sorry. FMT. So many things in my brain right now. And the other thing where the use FMT was on obesity, which is quite interesting oh. because they've actually taken the um, poop from lean, healthy individuals and they've transferred it to morbidly obese individuals without changing anything else, not changing their diet, not letting them exercise, nothing else. The only thing that they've done was transfer the gut microbiome through FMT and the obese individuals started losing weight. Wow. So that's another life-changing effect because I know so many of my clients come to me and they don't do stuff that typical individual does. They don't eat fast foods. They don't drink alcohol. They're really healthy. They're trying their, their best, but they're still morbidly obese. There's mm-hmm. still something there. So sometimes is not the food, is not everything, is not your hormones, is something else. And that can be the microbiome stuff. So this is now coming out and it's mind-blowing what is happening. Now, of course, there have been occasions where they have not chosen the right donor. And after doing the transfer, um, the patient died, which is very, very unfortunate. So what we're doing now is finding this optimal way of delivery, of screening. There's actually a company that spun out of the Aberdeen University. It's called Enterobiotics, and they do really, really big research on the FMT, and they're working on creating the FMT pill. So mm-hmm. instead of you know, needing to go through lengthy procedures like that, you would be able to just take it as a supplement and inoculate your gut with a healthy donor's FMT. So you wouldn't even know that you're doing that because it would come in a capsule, you wouldn't taste it, you just swallow it like you would any other supplement in that case. Um, And that can be absolutely life-changing for a lot of individuals. Wow, that is so fascinating. Uh, So a question that arises, um, because you spoke to how biochemically individual we are, and biochemically unique do they do this sort of like how they do transplants for organs do they actually look for a donor that has sort of the same profile like the biochemical profile or the gut microbiome profile that the recipient would be a match to i'm not fully sure about that one what I do know is that we have studied microbiome to the point where we understand which species should be enriched, which ones shouldn't be that much. What is the balance between them? That you need the bodies just as much you need the goodies because there's this constant communication. Right. And I think when they're screening for donors, you're being screened for everything. I mean, if you are in Aberdeen, you can actually be a donor yourself. This got, I think the website is called number2.com or something like that. <laughs> Very aptly named. <laughs> yeah. So you're going through this entire screening process and it's very, very vigorous testing and very strict. Nice. So if you, you know, have any sign of imbalances and stuff, you don't qualify for it at all. So they really take you through it. Um. So 
they know what needs to be there and they know what shouldn't be there. And if you do require an FMT, then you're probably lacking certain bits of the microbiome that should be there, but you don't have them. This is why you probably develop dysbiosis. So by the FMT, what would happen is they would clear you out of the microbiome that you have to get rid of the one that you have and then inoculate the healthy one. And then hopefully the healthy one sticks. Now I said, most of the time it does stick. Um, sometimes they had to do an intervention two, three times. But in a lot of cases, a single intervention has either completely cured the individual for for the life, basically. Um, and sometimes it had to be done two or three times before they achieved that perfect outcome. Wow, fascinating. That is so incredible. I mean, I would love to have you back so that we can hear more about that. I'm fascinated by that, especially like we were just discussing how important it is to have that present during birth, because yes. that alone is going to inoculate baby to be able mm -hmm. to make sure that baby has the proper balance in their little gut to obviously set them up for health for life so that they don't have to deal with because oftentimes I think that digestive issues are the ones the trunk of the body is obviously like the, the center of it if you look at the at the organism obviously the trunk of the body is the digestive system and then everything kind of branches from there the rest are just branches so that is probably the most important most sound part of the body and the rest of what we obviously deal with, whether in the periphery or anything like that, obviously relies on what's there to be able to have its own health and to be able to build from. So Dr. Monica, oh my goodness, you gave us so much of your time, your wisdom. This has been so incredibly enriching. Thank you so much for sharing with the audience. I would love to know, and I'm sure the audience would love to know, where can they find you? Because you do have such a wealth of knowledge that they could tap into working with you so that you could help them with all of the things that you just discussed with us on this show. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Um, I am very easy to find. If you Google my name, you will find my LinkedIn, my Facebook, my Instagram, my YouTube, wherever you go. And of course, my website. So monikagostich.com, that is me. Or simply, if you Google Dr. Monica Gostich, you will find all my social media profiles. And you can get in touch with me anywhere. I will reply quite happily. I have a free Facebook community where I share my knowledge. Um, just yesterday, I posted about the benefits of nutritional yeast. And, you know, if you don't know what that is, maybe something that you want to read on. So that's there. I answer some questions from people who ask them. I do have my email list where quite often I send a lot of freebies in terms of free recipes or gut guides. Or I've recently sent a guide on fiber and how to get more fiber into your diet and where to find it. And of course, I have my membership programs. So I've got two of them. Either you work with me in one-to-one -one or it's a group coaching. So there's plenty of ways to get in touch. There's free ways, there's paid ways. But just in general, give me a follow and you will probably enjoy a lot of controversial posts that I tend to put on my social media that spike a discussion. And there's always something for anyone to learn in those. That's right. You guys see the she she's so sharing in the, the wealth of knowledge that she has. And she's on the cutting edge, of course, 
being a lecturer at a university, she's able to uh, be in touch with those that are doing the research and she's able to obviously impart that knowledge and that wisdom. So thank you so much. I will make sure that everything is linked in the show notes. For those of you that are wondering, uh, Dr. Monica Gostich is uh, M-O-N-I-K-A-G-O-S. T-I-C, I say Gostic, but it's Gostic, of course, it, it, it the cultural uh, <laughs> translation of it. So you guys go give her a follow, work with her if you, if you want to really optimize, especially your gut, your microbiome for optimal health. Once again, Dr. Monica, thank you so much for sharing. We'd love to have you back so we can continue the conversation at another time. And we'll take a topic that maybe the listeners can let us know that they want to learn more about. And we'll talk about that in more depth. Sounds amazing. Uh, maybe I can throw it out there. I'm quite happy to talk about female health a lot of times or any special chronic conditions. I've recently given a talk on fibromyalgia. So maybe something that people want to hear more about. Perfect. Perhaps we could we could chat about women's health, especially through the age, especially because we are cyclical. We do have our, our, our cycles that uh, directly impact how we feel, what output of uh, like in the gym, like we were just discussing, like how much we could put out and how we feel through the through the stages of our periods, especially as we age and the continuum of that as we go towards perimenopause, menopause, so on and so forth, phasing out from menstruation. So once again, thank you, Dr. Monica. We'll have that conversation soon. Thank you, thank you everybody for tuning in. See you next time on the next show. Thank you for tuning to The Confidential. We hope you enjoyed the episode and found it interesting and informative. Please subscribe to the show to receive notifications when new episodes are released. You can also follow us on social media on Instagram at The Confidential Podcast to stay up to date with all things related to the show. We appreciate your support and welcome any feedback you may have. Until next time, stay curious and keep on learning. Thank you for listening.